Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. We said Pastor Willie is uh, resting today. And as I mentioned last week, I'm starting a series on Jesus is Coming. It was just going to be a two-part series ending today. The pastor encouraged me to keep going with it. So we're going to do this series until Jesus comes back. We'll probably go, uh, probably go four or five weeks with it. Uh, so I'm excited, actually. Now, as any good teacher, you have a review sheet. Everyone take it out. If you have a bulletin, if you didn't get one, uh, maybe Zita in the back. Raise your hand. Zita will be happy to get you one of these. This is what we talked about last week. And I realized a picture is worth a thousand of my words. I could have just passed this out last week and we could have gone home, right? <laughs> Not quite, but... Alright, so I've titled last week's message, uh, this is a review of a comparison of the rapture and the second coming and a possible timeline. So if I call it a possible timeline... Am I saying this is absolute in stone and if you don't believe this, then you're in big trouble? No, that's not what I'm saying. All right? So it's a possible timeline. And we talked about the rapture. We define the rapture, it's the Latin term from rapturo, and it means to be caught up. So Jesus comes back, right? The dead in Christ rise first. They're caught up. And then we who remain on the earth, we're going to rise up off the planet and join the Lord in the air. We talked about that. That's the rapture. That's happening. Okay. Then we talked about another event I call the second coming from Matthew's Gospel. And that event, Jesus comes back. There's a trumpet sound. And He sends His angels to gather the elect. But there's all kinds of signs and wonders that preceded it. And Jesus comes back to earth. And there's a big battle. And there's a big war. And there's a whole bunch of detailed teaching in Matthew's account, whereas Paul's account was Jesus comes in the air, the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ rise, and then Paul's teaching is pause. It's like, wait a minute, Paul, you didn't finish it. What happens? Does Jesus go back to heaven? Does Jesus come down to earth? Or is he, It's like Jesus is frozen in the air with the saints. It's like, Paul, you know, what's going on? Well, he doesn't tell us what's going on. Why not? I don't know. He just didn't tell us. Uh, maybe he already thought he told the Thessalonians, so he didn't need to go into a detailed teaching. So we talked about the rapture last week. We talked about the second coming. And I have a little table there. I gave some of the differences of the accounts, and you can read them again if you want to. Okay? Then I looked at a possible timeline starting in Daniel. Okay, Daniel said, <clears throat> remember, uh, Daniel was praying, and God dispatched an angel to answer his prayers. That's pretty cool. And so Gabriel comes and says, Hey, Daniel, listen, here's the answer to your prayer. Seventy sevens of years are decreed for your people. And then that's it. Seventy sevens. And we said a seventy sevens would be seventy times seven, which is 490 years. So the Jews have 490 years. And then he said, Sixty nine sevens will be from the issuing of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah will be 69 sevens. 
Now, I give you the calculation. I thought I gave it to Carl last week, Carl, and I didn't. I apologize. That's my bad. Okay, thank you. Uh, but I did give you the calculation. I mean, this is a prophecy that Gabriel told Daniel. He said, look, 69 sevens is going to be the time period from the issuing of a decree to the cutting off of the Messiah. Well, the decree, we said, was issued by Artaxerxes. You can read it in Nehemiah 2.15. And we know that that was uh, in 445 B.C. So if you do the math, if you add that uh, 69 times 7 worth of years to 445 B.C., it comes out to 32 A.D., which I would say is very, very close to the time of Christ. Would you agree? The other thing is, even if you don't like my numbers, if the Scripture says that there's 69 sevens until the coming of the Messiah, that's what it is, right? It has nothing to do with me and my numbers. It has everything to do with God and what He said in the Scripture. So, I believe that God has put that in there for a good reason. So, the Messiah has come in AD 32. Now the question we answered last week was, what happened in the last seven years? Like, didn't it just continue after AD 32? So 32 plus 7 was 39, right? So how come everything didn't end in AD 39? Like Daniel said, it would end. The 70th week would be the time where prophecy would be fulfilled and, and sealed up. Um, but it didn't end. Um, when does it begin? We don't know. So what happened in AD 32? When Jesus rose from the dead and went up into heaven, okay, He sent the Holy Spirit. The church was born, right? Well, Paul gives us a clue. He said, Israel has received a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So now, the program has been for the Gentiles primarily. That doesn't mean Jews don't get saved. They do get saved, and we need to evangelize and pray for them to be saved. But it looks like, I say it looks like, God's going to pick up this seven-year period at another time at the end of the age. Okay, Scripture gives that indication as I read it. So that's what we talked about last week. And you notice I put rapture occurs with a question mark. Do I know when the rapture is occurring? I told you last week, I'm not really sure. Okay, And as I was talking to Debbie, she had an interesting comment. She said, you know, talking about the rapture is kind of like talking about politics. So am I trampling on anybody's rapture belief, your sacred little belief? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but I can tell you why Bible teachers say that the rapture is going to come before the tribulation. Okay, I'm going to tell you why they say that. Let's look in Second Thessalonians 2.1. So this will kind of finish last week. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Okay, Paul says this, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with Him. So what about it? Verse 2, That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed. Okay, something is disturbing the Thessalonians. Either by a spirit or a message or a letter, they got some kind of message or letter or something that disturbed them, as if from us, in other words, we didn't send it to you, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
Okay, so they're upset for some reason. We don't know why. They think they're in the day of the Lord. And they're upset about it. Okay, so question, why are they upset if they think they're in the day of the Lord? Okay, two scenarios. First scenario. Let's just say the rapture comes before the tribulation, okay? So the rapture comes, the church goes up off the earth to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord takes us back to heaven. And then comes the tribulation period. Then Jesus comes back to earth to do battle. Okay, so they're two separate events. Let's just pretend that that's the case. Would that make sense that the Thessalonians would be upset? Well, the answer is yes, because if they thought that they were in the day of the Lord, because they were undergoing persecution, then in their mind, they would have thought, wow, we missed the rapture. Okay, does that make sense? Are you following that? Okay, scenario two. Let's say the rapture and the second coming are the same event. They happen after the tribulation, at the very end of the age. Jesus is only coming back one time. He's, I mean, same event, right? So if, they're, if, they're, if they think they're in the day of the Lord, would it make sense for them to be upset? The answer would probably be no, because they were taught about the second coming. Christ was going to be coming back after the tribulation. So really they should have hope and rejoice that what they're going through, the persecution that they were actually going through, it's like, wow, this means He's coming back soon. But you guys can make your own mind up on that. But that's why Bible teaches, that's one reason why they teach that the rapture comes before the tribulation. Okay, so let's move on. Um, You're going to see where I want to go with this. Today, today I want to talk to you about God's heart for Israel. Um, what I'm realizing is with this subject, it does step on people's toes. I'm not really interested in being right on a timeline. What I'm interested in is us having God's heart for the Jews and for His plan and purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today, um, is God's heart So, let me just review here. What is God's heart? I mean, you guys know what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. What happened? Sin and death came into the world. And now all of a sudden, people could not be in fellowship with God anymore because of sin. And so God, I mean, He could have just wiped the world out, right? Just destroyed everything. He could have started over if He wanted to. But for some reason, He didn't do that. Why not? Because He loves people. And you would not believe how many times, I've said this last week, I'm going to keep saying it, and you would not believe how many times this is in Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And now the dwelling of God is with man. He will be their God and we will be His people. That's like one of the major themes of the entire Bible. God has a heart of love that's so intense, so amazing, so wonderful, and it's like He has to share it. And He wants a people to just pour all this love into and that people can just enjoy it, revel in it, and give it back to Him and love Him back. That's what He wants. That's, that's the whole reason any of this timeline is going on. God's like, hey guys, I'm going to wind it down. There's going to be a day I'm going to bring everything back under my control and finally I'm going to love you 
And there's not going to be any distractions from the evil one. Sin and death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's going to be a good day. That day is coming. All right, so God chooses Abraham, right? And he makes a covenant. Why? Why did God pick Abraham to make a covenant with? Because God's saying, you know what? I'm going to choose a people group. And I'm going to reveal myself to a people group and they will bear my glory to the rest of the world. The rest of the world will see them and they will point them to me so they can come and know me also. So God makes his covenant with Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, if you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you the land forever. And he also said to Abraham, I will be God to you. What was the point of the covenant? I will be God. Abraham, I want to be your God. I want to hang out with you. I want you to know me in my goodness, in my mercy, in my kindness. Forever, Abraham, that's what I want. And your people, I'm going to reveal myself to, and then your people will reveal me to the entire world. That's what God did with Abraham. That's pretty cool. What did God do with David? Let's look in uh, 2 Samuel. God made a covenant with David, didn't He? 2 Samuel 7, 10, and 16. He says to David, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them. Why? Because he loves them. That they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God told Abraham, hey, it's forever. God told David, the throne is forever. You're going to be with me forever. Okay? That's good news. Of course, the prophets foretold of the ultimate act of love. Who, who, was, who came with the ultimate act of love? Jesus. Right? So Jesus comes. God loves His people so much I mean, how can the sinful people come in relationship with God? Did the blood of bulls really take away sins? God sent His Son to take away sin once and for all. Isn't that amazing? The Jews' Messiah was prophesied to come. He comes on the scene and they kill Him. The nation rejected their Messiah by and large. But He he performs the ultimate sacrifice. He dies on the cross he pours out forgiveness for sins, rises in, ascends into heaven, and gives the Holy Spirit and eternal life to those who put their trust and faith in Him. What greater love was there than that? You see that God has a heart to restore. So much so that He sent His own Son. It's incredible. But you know, it wasn't just Jesus that had a heart for his, the Jews. It was Paul. Paul said something that's stunning. Romans 9.1 I'm trying to make the case that God loves His people. Okay. <laughs> if you haven't figured that out. What's Paul say? What's Paul say? He's, he, he's, ta- he's talking to Christians. This is interesting. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Paul, you're talking to Christians. Why are you saying I'm not lying? My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed 
separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Hey, Paul, what did you just say? Separated from who? Who does he he wish he could be separated from? Christ. How can you say that? How can you say, I believe this is what he's saying, okay? I'm going to paraphrase this. I, I have such a heart for my people that if I could be eternally separated from Christ so that they could have what I have, I would do it. Who says that? I would rather burn in a lake of fire so that my people could come into into Christianity. Who says that? Do do you say that? Do I say that? I don't say that. He said it. Do you see God's heart for His people? That's that's intense. That's very intense. And, And why? Because He came... When Jesus came, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. They didn't receive Him. Paul knew that. Paul was the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. When he got knocked off his donkey and Jesus appeared to him and he got up, he was persecuting saints, right? As his ultimate job as the Pharisee of Pharisees. Think about this. Paul gets saved. What goes through his mind? Was he saved because he did all those good works and offered the sacrifices in Jewry. No. Can you imagine? I can imagine him sobbing. I mean, literally on the ground sobbing with grief because of his persecution of the saints. But then I can also imagine him being just flooded with mercy and love and saying, I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this. Guys, it's by grace. It's by grace. And then his thought was, wow, my people, they're the same way I was. I see grace now. My people don't see grace. And I believe there was an evolution in his thinking process that brought him to Romans 9.1. God really cares about his people. He really does. What's the whole point of this timeline, this Daniel timeline? It's God saying, hey, I'm going to bring it to pass. I love you so much. I am so committed to my purpose and plan of restoration for the Jews and the church that my zeal will accomplish this. You will live with me in eternity forever and you will know my love. That's what's going on with this whole plan and purpose. Okay. Does that make, make sense? All right. So I just wanted to share with you what I believe God's heart is towards this whole, this whole second coming thing. God is passionate about being with His people. That's what the second coming is about. Now, let's go to the 70th week. Okay, Let's go back to Daniel 9.27. I think it's in uh, NASB. I'm going to read an NIV version to you. Okay. Daniel 9.27. Again, Gabriel had given this to Daniel. This was an answer to Daniel's prayer. It says this, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. 
In the middle of the seven, he will put, on, put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple will be set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So these next couple of weeks, we're going to be really exploring what's going on in this last seven-year period of human history is really what it is. Okay, he will confirm a covenant. Who is he? Who is he? That's a good question, isn't he? Isn't it? Well, let's go to Matthew. Let's see if we can figure out who he is. Matthew twenty-four fifteen. Matthew twenty-four fifteen. Okay, now this is Jesus giving his account of the end of the age, and he says this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, where is he standing? In the temple. He's repeating what Daniel said. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Okay, so whoever he is, people are people going to hang around and eat dinner with him? They're going to flee to the mountains. Right? Okay, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So whoever he is, people aren't hanging out. They're fleeing, they're running, and there's going to be such tribulation and persecution that we haven't seen it. We can't even imagine it. Okay, so we know that so far, right? All right, let's go to Revelation 13.1. Revelation 13 here. Okay, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. You just trust me right now, the dragon is Satan. Okay, then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, those are crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Okay? And then verse uh, verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking. So whoever this, there's a beast coming up out of the sea, right? There's a dragon and a beast. The dragon is Satan. So a beast comes up. Who is the beast? Well, it's given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. And authority to act for 42 months was given to him. How many years is 42 months? It's three and a half years, right? Um, in Daniel's account, the abomination is set up after three and a half years. Okay, so pay attention to this three and a half year number here. Okay, so who is this beast? He blasphemes God, right? He's arrogant. He's proud. And 42 months is given to him. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And verse 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not been written in the book from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. Okay, so he's given to make war with the saints, right? He utters blasphemies against God. He has authority to make war with the saints for three and a half years. Okay, does that sound like this uh, 
abomination set up, whoever set that abomination up from Daniel. Okay, well, let's just keep going. 2 Thessalonians 2.3. We're back in 2 Thessalonians. Okay, Paul's telling them about the coming of the lawless one. And he's telling them that the day of the Lord isn't going to happen until the lawless one is revealed. Okay, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, that's the day of the Lord, Unless the apostasy, that means falling away, comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes the seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Okay, and then he says, do you not remember? I told you these things while I was with you. Okay. Verse 8, Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring it to an end by the appearance of his coming. Okay, so whoever this lawless one is, he's going to be destroyed when Christ comes back. Right? Okay, so I don't know if you guys are seeing there's, this very, there's great similarities between this beast in Revelation 13 and this abomination set up in in uh, Matthew and in Daniel. And Paul calls him the lawless one. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel has another name for him. Daniel calls him a little horn. So back to Daniel uh, 7, I believe it is. Okay. Daniel 7. Twenty-three through twenty-five. Okay, Daniel was talking about the fourth kingdom that was to come at the end of the age. Okay, so he has a he has a vision of his fourth kingdom, and he's describing it in verse twenty-three. Thus says the Lord: the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of the kingdom. Ten kings will arise. So in the book of Daniel, a horn is a kingdom. And another will arise after them. Okay, who is this other? And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. He will intend to make alterations in times and in law and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Guess how many years that is? It's three and a half years. Okay, what's he going to do? He's going to wear down the saints. What's the beast do in Revelation? He has authority over the saints for 42 months. Do you guys see that we're talking about the same person here? Okay, does this person have a name? 1 John 2.18 Children... It is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Is there really an Antichrist? He's, John said so, right? Now, are the, was the Pope the Antichrist? Was Hitler the Antichrist? 
I mean, is, is Obama the Antichrist? Probably not. They, have the, they may have the spirit of the Antichrist, but there is a single person that John calls the Antichrist um, and Paul calls the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. He's the little horn in Daniel that utters boast, boastful word and he does something. What does he do? Okay, let's go back to Daniel 9. Okay, all we did was kind of, we answered the question of who is he? All right, well, he makes a firm covenant with many for one year. I don't know what the covenant is. It doesn't say. And if people say, well, he made a covenant of peace with Israel, the Bible doesn't say that. It just says he made a covenant. But we just have a clue. He breaks the covenant after three and a half years. And it says he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. By the way, if there's sacrifice and offering going on, there's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple. Right? So whatever, whoever this man of lawlessness is, whatever covenant he makes, and maybe he allows the Jews to set up the sacrificial system and the offering system again. Maybe it has something to do with that, but we don't know. But we do know in the middle of the week, after three and a half years, he abolishes it. Okay, but first, in, in the, after three and a half years, it says that he sets up an abomination that causes desolation. What is, what is this thing? Well, the word abomination means detestable thing. Okay, detestable. The word desolation means horrifying. So whoever this man of lawlessness is, he's going to set something up in their temple that is detestable to the Jews and horrifying. That's what he's going to do. There's uh, something in history in 167 B.C. that illustrates this perfectly. You may have heard of Antiochus Epiphanes. His name means Antiochus God manifested. In other words, he's God. He was God manifest in the flesh, Antiochus. Well, Antiochus wants to conquer the world, right? He's got an ego. So he marches against Rome, and he's going to try to take Rome. Well, the Romans shut him down, but that doesn't deter him, so he marches on Jerusalem. Now he's really angry. And they estimated that he slaughtered 80,000 Jews. This is around one in the 160s uh, B.C., and then what he did was he took a pig, which of course is an unclean animal. Uh, the Israelites were not allowed to offer pigs as sacrifice. So he gets this pig and he, he offers it as a sacrifice in the Jewish temple and defiles it. I mean that, and then he sprinkles the blood all around the temple. I mean, the ultimate mockery for a Jew and to God too. And then I'm not sure if this is true, but supposedly he set up some image to... Zeus or some other god in the temple. So that is a picture of the abomination, something detestable set up that horrified the Jews. Okay? And actually shortly after that, there was a battle and the Jews were able to take back um, and, and I, I believe beat him back. But there's a coming another time. How do we know? Was that the fulfillment of Daniel? I mean, the abomination came. Antiochus was it. I mean, that fulfilled what Daniel said. No, because Jesus mentioned it, right? Oh, 150 years later, Jesus said, uh, no, there's another abomination coming. So that's how we know that. All right, so 
who is, what is this abomination set up? Well, we, we have a hint in Revelation. Let's go there and see what it is. Revelation 13. 13.11. Okay, so we have the dragon, right? Everyone knows there's a dragon, Satan. Then we had the first beast come up, and that's the beast that was given power to persecute people for 42 months. Now in verse 11, then I saw another beast. So there's two beasts and a dragon. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. We know Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? So it's like whoever this beast is, he's going to come and probably sell himself as a lamb. The lamb is peaceful, right? But really, he's got the heart of the dragon. He executes all the authority of the first beast, that's presumably the Antichrist, in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Okay, something apparently happens to this first beast, but then he gets healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and came to life. Okay, what's he making? An image. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So whatever kind of image he's making, somehow they're able to give breath to it. And I don't know if this is a deception or if it's just satanic power or what. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay, so there's probably a good chance that this is the image that is set up in the temple by the Antichrist. Okay, I can't say it 100% sure. Um, but when you look at all the accounts from Daniel to Matthew to Second uh, Thessalonians to Revelation... Um, it looks like there's going to be some gross image set up in the temple. Uh, and this second beast is going to cause everybody to worship it. And of course, if you don't worship it, you're killed. Okay. So I, I hope I'm at least giving you some things to consider. Who is he? What's the abomination of desolation? And what was set up? Okay. And that brings us to the three and a half year period of this seven week time period. It's at the three and a half mark that all hell literally breaks loose on earth, what follows it. And that's going to be for next week. I'm not going to go into that today. Uh, next week we're going to go into, um, I'm going to bring the day of the Lord. I'm going to give you the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, you're going to see how God's program and God's heart for Israel, His love, even though it's a time of trial, it's called Jacob's trouble, right? Well, Jacob is going through some trouble the last three and a half years, but you're going to see the mighty hand of God and His love deliver supernaturally His people. Okay, because He's bringing them to an ultimate end which is good in the kingdom of God. That's what's going on. So what can we conclude about today? Um, 
Well, number one, I showed you a timetable, right? Some people get bent out of shape. Well, that's not what so-and-so said in their timetable, and I don't think this is right. Now, okay, you see, that's not where I'm trying to go with my timetable. A timetable means God controls human history. That's what I'm getting at with my timetable. God controls human history. God brought Messiah at just the right time. Would you agree? God brought the church into being at just the right time. Jesus is coming back on His timetable. Just the right time. When Satan is allowed on earth to destroy the saints for 42 months, God is letting him out on a leash and will jerk it back when he feels like it. Who's in control? God is. What's a timetable mean? God's in control. What's that mean for us? God is in control, right? Well, how does that, mean, how does that work in your life? I can give you an example. Um, this past week was kind of interesting. I'm looking for a full-time job. And Lynchburg City Schools has a job that's about to open. It's a credit recovery program. It's going to be downtown in the Boys and Girls Club. So I'm, I'm waiting for it to come so I can apply for it. And uh, in order for me to apply for it, I'd probably have to quit my other job at Millermont. And I've, I've already told, talked to my manager there. But I, w- I want to give him as much time in advance if I were to quit my job. You know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who likes to quit with one week to go. And so I was, I was at Lynchburg City. I was talking to my supervisor and my principal, and I was sharing this with them because they were talking about this job. And I said, I said guys, I wish they would post this job. Um, because i got to quit my other job, and I, I need some time to let them know. And my supervisor just kind of did this. She, she whispered to me in front of the principal, and she said, God is in control. <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, you're in control. You know it's going. I'm starting to worry, right? We can't do that. We, I mean, I can't, I can't order my days. Do I order my days? No. I mean, I'm, I apply for jobs, but God orders my steps. So if you are going through a job situation, a life change situation, a college, where am I going for college? Uh, what, you know, what should I do for retirement? Whatever, whatever situation you're in, God's in control, right? He's got it under His control. All you need to do is sit at his feet, rest. That's what he was telling me. Sit at my feet. I've got this. That's pretty good. God is in control. What else can we take from this? Well, I was challenged for God's heart for the Jews. God really loves the Jews. Paul said, hey, the hardening is only partial. It's temporary. Has God forgotten his chosen people, Paul asked? He said, absolutely not. How could he forget the apple of his eye? How can he forget those whom he sent his son to die for? You don't forget people like that. So how can we develop a greater heart for the Jews? Because it's important to God. One thing is get meditate on the Scriptures. Um, these Scriptures that I have here, they're online. Brandy will put them online this week. You can go to our website and just get the Scriptures and meditate on them. And say, wow, God, thank you for what you're going to do. God, thank you that you're in control of this Antichrist thing. God, thank you for the Jews that you're going to save in this day. And just start praying and celebrating what the Scripture says over the Jews. 
and you'll get a heart for the Jew. The other thing we can do is, um, what I do is I have a messianic praise. I don't think any of you guys ever heard of Paul Wilbur. Uh, he started a group called Israel's Hope years ago, and now he, he sings for Hosanna. He's just, his songs are powerful. And it's, a lot of his songs are like laments for, for the salvation of Israel. And so when I'm listening to these praise songs and I'm singing during my devotional time, I just break into prayer and praise. God save Israel now. God save. Save Jews now in Tel Aviv. God save Jews in New York City. God save Jews. You, know, you just start breaking into prayer and praise when you listen to this music. The other thing you can do is support ministries. Um, you guys heard of Jews for Jesus? I mean, they go way back. Well, maybe we need to go online and Google Jews for Jesus again and see what's going on. Read, read the testimonies that are online and say, you know, God, do you want me to be involved in any way? Uh, at this church, we support a group called Light to Israel. And what they do is they are evangelistic and they uh, are into discipleship uh, to the Jewish people. They support um, Christian ministries that are having an effect in Jerusalem, in that area. Uh, maybe I can tell you more about them later. So when you give here at Cornerstone, a part of your money is going to light to Israel. So, so be encouraged, guys. Jesus is coming back. And if you want to debate when He's coming back, we can do it as we rise up off the air. In fact, right as we go through the ceiling, we'll argue back and forth on when he's coming back, right? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434 847 Four seven nine six. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.